0: There are organizations all over the world that refer to themselves as a church. But how does God define a church? What does the Bible say about the mission, structure, and practices of a healthy church? There are all kinds of questions about how a church should conduct business. How is the church led? How does the church deal with false teaching? What is expected of a church member? What is the church's mission? How does the church impact the community? How does the church deal with hard people? Let's learn together. Grab a pencil, open up your Bibles to the book of Titus, and let's head to class for Church 101. Amen. We're in this series called Church 101. Like, what are we doing here? Well, that's why we're in this series. What is the church supposed
1: to be about? Today, we are going to talk about mission. And I'm always fascinated by mission
0: statements. And I mean, like, church's mission statements specifically. The other, you know, other businesses, companies, not really interesting to me personally. But I'm always fascinated to see what a church's mission statement is. And here's a few that I found online. Uh, I don't mean this in an overly critical way, but I just, these are ones I found online. I, I took the name of the church out. But these were fascinating to me. And I just want to share why with you briefly. This one, um, this church's mission statement was making new, making great. That's their mission statement. And I read that. I'm like, making new what? What, what, what are, we are we making? Are we making cinnamon rolls? Or are we making, I don't, uh, and making great, like, I think what's not great is that mission statement. Here's another one,
1: to reach up, reach out, and reach in. And I'm not I'm not sure about that one either. I think, I think they're kind of reaching
0: to make that their mission statement. What else do we got? We have, um, we are the voice. Now, this is a church's mission statement, okay? You're like, oh, Pastor Jeff, you're so critical. Stay with me for a second. We are the voice and the hand that encourages people to change their lives with hope, comfort, and peace. Hope, comfort, and peace are not going to change anybody's lives. Jesus Christ changes lives. And with Jesus, you get those things, but those things come from Jesus. Are we, are we changing lives apart from Jesus? I don't like that one. F. Okay, sorry, that was too critical. Yeah, too hot, sorry. Aaron, Aaron always tells her, come in, in too
1: hot. Come in in. Okay, sorry. I'm going to back that one up a little bit. Okay, and here's um, I think this one's good because this one's ours. <laughs> Do you want me to be honest or not? This is our church's mission statement to glorify God by fulfilling the Great Commission. We're going to talk about the Great Commission in a minute or two. In the spirit of the great commandment.
0: What's the great commandment? Jesus said it's to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said the second is like it. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. So the great commandment is loving God and loving people. And our church's mission is to fulfill the great commission. That's
1: make disciples by loving God. By loving people. That's our church's mission. All right?
0: And do you know why I'm so fascinated by these mission statements for churches? And I read a lot of them this week. Do you know why I'm so fascinated? I just don't don't understand why churches think they have to come up with a mission statement. Because it's been given to us. Right? Right? Are there really a group of Christians sitting around the table going, what should our church be about? Do you know God wrote it down? It's all right here. He told us exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Why are we wondering what we're supposed to be doing as a church? It's so clear. Our job is to glorify God by fulfilling the great commission. That's the who and that's the what and here's the how in the spirit of the great commandment.
1: So we didn't think too hard about it, because that's what it is, right? Let's talk about the mission. You know, when we're saved, when when God saves people, why don't we just immediately go to heaven? Because ultimately, that's where we're going to be forever,
0: right? So wouldn't, wouldn't things just be a lot easier... If the minute you receive Jesus Christ, it's just like, whoop, right to heaven. Wouldn't that be so much easier?
1: So why doesn't God do that? Well, he leaves us on the earth for the mission. He leaves us on the earth to tell the world and, like we talked about last week, show
0: the world that God is a saving God. This is the message,
1: this is the mission, salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to talk about salvation here for a little bit. Now, when I say salvation, that is a very generic, general catch-all term, honestly.
0: Salvation, what does that mean? What does it mean to be saved? And how exactly does the mission happen if God wants to save people? That those are the questions we're looking at. What does it mean, and how does that happen? Well, on your outline, if you're taking notes, and I always encourage that you do, these are roles and responsibilities in God's mission, right? Everybody needs to know who's doing what now. And first of all, number one, write this down. This is God's part of the mission. God's part is saving and changing people. Saving people and changing people. So today, like I said, we're going to do a little theology. Because when we talk about salvation, again, it is kind of a generic term, but salvation
1: really has three aspects to it. Past, present, and future. And those are the fancy... Uh,
0: theological terms. Maybe you've heard them. Maybe this is the first time hearing it, so you're going to learn something today. But it's justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification has to do with the past. Sanctification has to do with the present, and glorification has to do with the future, right? And that's exactly what we see In this text, as Paul, uh, you know, older preacher telling younger preacher, here's how to conduct business in the church. You know, now we're getting to the mission. And he says, here's God's part. It's saving and changing people. You ready to do a little theology? First of all, letter A, let's talk about justification. What does justification mean?
1: It means this. I was saved from the penalty of sin. I was saved... From the penalty of sin. Look at verse 11. After what
0: might be one of the longest introductions ever. For the grace of God has appeared.
1: The grace of God has appeared. Look at this. Bringing salvation. For all people. Stop there for a second. Let's talk about justification. Listen, this
0: is the gospel. Jesus Christ who we believe is God in the flesh, we're going to see that very clearly here in this very passage, He came to this earth not only to teach us about God, about the kingdom of heaven, but He came ultimately to die
1: on the cross for our sins and to be raised from the dead to give us eternal life. What makes the death of Jesus so significant? Because on the cross,
0: Jesus was literally experiencing the wrath of God for your sin. In other words, when Jesus was on the cross, he was paying the penalty that you deserve and that I deserve. He
1: was taking that on himself. You're like, well, what do I deserve? Honestly, biblically, what we deserve is hell. Hell is eternal separation from God.
0: It's a place of eternal, forever, conscious, constant torment
1: because you're cast out of the presence of God. And you see, when Jesus was on the cross, yes, there
0: was the physical pain, and and a lot of people talk about that, but interestingly, the Bible never does. There was
1: something... Far worse going on than the physical pain, if you can believe that. That was the spiritual pain. Jesus
0: experienced that separation from God when He was on the cross. In other words, Jesus literally experienced all of the pain and torment of hell while He was hanging on the cross. Understand what I mean. Are you saying Jesus was in hell? Jesus was on the cross while he was hanging there, he was experiencing what hell feels like. Because he was experiencing the wrath
1: of God, not for anything that he did, but for all the things that I've done and all the things that you've done. And then he rose from the dead to defeat death, to give the promise of eternal life. And you you are commanded to receive him.
0: You are commanded to turn from your sin, all this selfish stuff that you've been living your life for, you're commanded to turn from that and say, I'm done living for my stuff that dishonors God, and and I'm turning to and receiving Jesus Christ. I'm believing
1: that Jesus Christ died and rose for me. And when you do that, the Bible says that God justifies you. What does that mean? He pronounces you not guilty. All of the sin that you've committed, God says you're not guilty. And understand, church, nothing else can do that.
0: Nothing else can take away the guilt of your sin. Not your good works, not you trying to be a better person, not your good intentions. Nothing can take away the penalty of your sin, the guilt of your sin. Nothing else can do that
1: except for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And when you believe in Jesus, you're no longer God's
0: enemy because of your sin, you are now an adopted child of God.
1: And I love this. It says the extent of this salvation. It says bringing salvation for all people. Like, who's this salvation for? Tell me, who's this salvation for? All people. It's, it's for anyone. Like, but you don't understand the, the, the horrible things that I've done. It doesn't matter. Pastor Jeff, I've made a lot of really terrible mistakes. Okay. Haven't we all? No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, your sin can be taken away and forgiven. But there's really only one sin that cannot be forgiven. And that's the sin of not coming to Jesus to be saved. Anything else can be forgiven, but that one cannot. And I mean, that necessarily makes
0: sense, right? Like, if you went to a doctor and the doctor said, Hey, I got some bad news for you. You got a terminal disease, it's going to kill you in two weeks. But I got some good news. I got some medication that if you take one of these every day for a week, it will eradicate the disease. Here, take these. These are the only, this is the only medication that will destroy your disease. What would you say to the doctor? Would you say,
1: stop pushing your beliefs about pharmaceuticals on me? You know what, doctor? I hear what you're saying, but
0: I really believe that I'm going to conquer this disease myself because I'm a good person. And I believe, doctor, that I don't need the medicine. And, and, and I don't want it. And you walk out without it. The doctor's like, you're going to die.
1: Because you've rejected the only thing that can cure the disease. And that's how it is with Jesus. Listen, if you've got some other plan to deal with your sin, it's not going to work. Only Jesus Christ can take away your sin. And when you receive him, you are
0: justified, and you can say, because of Jesus, I was saved from the penalty of sin. Letter B, sanctification. What's that? I am being saved from the power of sin. Okay, justification has to do with the past, and we're going to get to the future. But understand, when we talk about salvation, I think, honestly, most Christians only think of it in terms of past and future. Like, are you saved? I got saved in 95. Well, are you saved? Yes, someday I look forward to going to heaven. But understand, salvation has to do with right now, right this minute, today. Look at verse 12. This is exactly what he's talking about. He says, training us, I'm talking about the grace of God, it appeared to bring salvation for all people, training us, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age.
1: Pretty clear, isn't it? One of the things that God's grace does, not just saving us from the penalty of sin, but training us. God's grace becomes
0: a teacher for us. Specifically, it's God's Holy Spirit living inside you. The Bible says that when you receive Jesus Christ, God's Spirit comes and indwells you. You become the temple of God. And you will never convince me that the God of the universe can come and indwell a person and that person doesn't change radically. You'll never convince me. That there is not a complete transformation when God shows up
1: in the heart of a person. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. You become a new creature with a new nature. And you have new appetites.
0: You have new appetites. And you're not a slave to your sin anymore.
1: Look at what John says about this. This is from 1 John chapter 3 verses 8 and 9. He says, "Whoever makes a
0: practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from
1: the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy was to destroy the works of the devil." Look at this, Christians, no one born of God makes a
0: practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. That's God's Holy Spirit. He lives in us. Look, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. One of the, couple of the biggest evidences that you have truly received Jesus Christ, that you're truly saved... It's not only how you feel about Jesus, how you feel about your Savior, but also how you feel about your sin.
1: Now listen, yes, we struggle with sin sometimes. Yes, we do. We all do. But the key word there is struggle. We don't love our sin like we used to. We don't live for our sin like
0: we used to. We don't live in our sin like we used to. Our sin disgusts us
1: now. Because God's Spirit lives in us and gives us new appetites. That's exactly what he's talking about here in verse
0: 12 uh, in Titus 2. We're, We're being reprogrammed. And he says, when we come to Christ and God's Holy Spirit lives in us, He's teaching us to turn from things and turn to things. Do you see that? There's some negatives. Look at verse 12 again. Here's the negatives. He says, we renounce two things here, ungodliness and worldly passions. Ungodliness, that's lack of reverence for God. That's what ungodliness is. We live our lives. We have no reverence for God, no thoughts of God, no thoughts of prayer, no thoughts of my life is accountable to God, nothing. Nothing.
1: It's just we live our life as if God's not there because we don't live like that anymore. We know better. We renounce that kind of
0: godless living, that that practical atheism that we used to... We we don't do that anymore. The other one here is, you see, worldly passions. That's just like living the way the world does, right? Living the way the world does. You know, I used to just go along... All the sins the world does, yep, I'm just like everybody else. No, I'm not anymore. I don't live like that anymore because that's not who I am. So we renounce those things. Look at the positive. He says to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Self-controlled. Self-control something that you have now. You didn't have that before you came to Christ, but now that you came to Christ... You have self control because self control is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit.
1: You know what that means? That means you don't have to sin. You don't have to. You have self control. Upright, that's obeying God's word in a way that makes an impact on those around us. That was like
0: last week's sermon, right? And then uh, godly, again, that's the opposite of ungodliness. It's a life that is constantly aware
1: of the presence of God. Now, Christians aren't sinless, but we should sin less because we know why Jesus died. We have God's
0: Spirit living within us, changing us. True Christians absolutely must see a growing walk with Jesus Christ in their lives, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. That's sanctification.
1: I'm being saved from the power of sin. Thirdly, letter C is glorification. I will be saved
0: from the presence of sin. Did you see this? Past, present, and future. Was saved from the penalty. Justification. I am being saved from the power of sin. That's sanctification. Here's glorification. I will be saved from the presence of sin. Look at verse 13 where he
1: says, waiting. For our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, Notice how he refers to Jesus as God there. Right? This is future. Someday
0: we will be delivered from the presence of sin. He says, that's in the meantime, we're waiting.
1: Waiting for the appearing of our God and Savior. So whether it's by your death... Or by the return of
0: Jesus Christ, we eagerly anticipate being with Him in glory, where there is no more sin and no more of the pain that comes with
1: sin. Things are not always going to be as they are now. Someday we're going to be saved from the very presence of sin. And then finally, I mean, finally under the first
0: point here, don't get excited. That's one of the things the preachers say just to get people to kind of perk up. Oh, finally, okay. I can listen for the last couple of minutes. It's a trick. There's so much more than a couple minutes.
1: Well, We're honest here, right? But letter D, security. I'm forever saved from the possession of sin. Security. I had a hard time with this because
0: I write these outlines, and I'm like justification, sanctification, glorification, security. So it's okay if you write on your outline, Securification.
1: Go for it. That's a word that we will coin here. The doctrine of Securification. What that means is I'm forever saved
0: from the possession of sin. Like what are you talking about? Look at verse 14. He said he's talking again about Jesus Christ, look, who gave himself for us to redeem us. That's buy us back from all lawlessness and to purify for
1: himself a people for his own possession. Or zealous for good works. You become the possession of Jesus Christ when you are saved.
0: And I can't even begin to tell you what that should mean to you. You literally become His possession. We went through the Gospel of John not too long ago, right? And I remember uh, John chapter 10, verse 28. Remember, Jesus said this. He said, "Um, I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life. Jesus said, look at this. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand.
1: When you belong to Jesus, you're in his hand. And Jesus said, nothing can take you from his hand. You can't lose your salvation. Because whoever could take it,
0: or whatever could take it from Jesus, would have to be more powerful
1: than Jesus. To be able to rip you from His hand? I don't see that happening. So you see, we're saved not just from hell, we're saved from
0: being the possession of sin to a life of of purity. A life that, as he says here, is zealous for good works. That when you know Jesus Christ, I mean like when you know Him, when you're walking with Him, you don't serve Him, out of some begrudging obligation like okay i'll get involved in one of the ministry teams at the church okay you don't you're passionate about serving him you're like i belong to jesus christ and nothing can ever change that what a glorious savior he is and what amazing love he showed me so i'm going to joyfully do whatever he would have me do i will Gladly do whatever I can to advance his cause because he's awesome. That's why we should be zealous for good works.
1: Right? So, when we talk about salvation, this is what we're talking about. This is the stuff that that God does when he saves people through Jesus. Right? But... Roles and responsibilities, there's our part too. One more verse. Are you with me? We do one more verse. Here's our part. Preaching and responding to God's Word. Preaching and responding to God's Word. Be like, what would, what would you have done if we all said no? That's a really good question. What should we do if they say no, Taylor? We'll have to talk about that this week. Our part is preaching and responding to God's word. Look at verse 15. He says, declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is our part of the mission. Our part of the mission is to get the word out, and he tells us exactly how to do it. It's through preaching. I get it. Look, from an earthly perspective, from a purely human perspective, this
0: just doesn't seem like a good idea. I get up here, or Pastor Taylor gets up here, or Mark or one of our other preachers gets up here, Justin. We get up here and we stand and we talk at you for 30 or 50 minutes
1: about something that was written a couple thousand years ago. And, like, why do we do that? All I can tell you is it wasn't my idea.
0: It just wasn't. This is what God says to do. This is the God-ordained method And to be honest with you, I don't question it because I feel privileged to partner with God. I'm like, I don't know why he would use me because I am less than nothing. But what an honor it is to be able to partner with God in this work that he's doing. So I'm not going to question it too hard. And right now somebody's looking at this verse like, okay, I can start packing up and putting my stuff away because I'm not a preacher, so this doesn't really apply to me. Well, yeah, this verse really is about the preacher, but it's also
1: about the listener. This verse says a lot to you as a listener, as a member of the congregation. Look at the phrase, all authority. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke. Look at this,
0: with all authority. This is not just opinion, okay? And woe to the preacher who gets up and spends his time in front of God's people saying, this is my opinion about things.
1: This isn't about opinion. This is about the authority of God. And that's why he says, declare these things. Declare what things?
0: Messages from the Reader's Digest, right? Eh. Uh, How about preach? preach from that love language book? Remember when churches were doing that, like we're preaching through the love language book I'm like, we're preaching through the Bible Not that there's anything wrong with a love language book. I get through that stuff with couples when I do premarital counseling and yeah, 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 but we're not going to preach that we're going to preach this because this is what God said to preach, declare, declare these things right and when he says, when he says declare." That's a military term for command, a military term. So if you're a veteran, if you have been in the military, you understand more than anybody the weight that this
1: word has. That the preacher's job is to command people. So while
0: we're throwing out woes, woe to the preacher that gets up there and says, you know what, church? God's just asking you to do this. God's just asking you if you would please, pretty please with sugar
1: on top. God is asking. God's not asking anybody to do anything. God doesn't make requests and he doesn't make suggestions. God only speaks in one way. And that's with all authority. So everything he says Is a command that we should be deadly serious about. You know, these (laughs) wouldn't it be nice, church? Wouldn't it be nice, church, if we all just these are commands that God is telling us to repeat? So, listen if the word of God is being taught, you are obligated to obey it. That's on you.
0: You have a God-given command to obey what the preacher says so long as the
1: preacher is communicating the Word of God. It's part of the Great Commission. You know that? The Great Commission, (laughs) Jesus says, go command people.
0: Right? Let's look at the Great Commission since we're talking about mission. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven, all all authority, that sounds familiar. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here's the command part. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Do you see it? Jesus said, I'm commanding you to do
1: things. Now you go command other people to do those things.
0: And here's the glorious promise, behold him with you always to the end of the age. That's the mission. And we carry that out not only here, not only through several short-term trips that um, go on, but if you're new around here, our church is very active in a growing, vibrant uh, ministry in Thailand. And I asked our missionary in Thailand, Barnabas, um, my hero, if he would just send us a a quick video introducing himself and update. He he sent us a real
1: quick one, if we could show that, please. Dear Christian brothers and sisters, this is Barnabas sending greetings from Mission Land, Chiang Mai, Thailand. I've been serving uh, serving the law in the ministry. For more than thirty years by right now. I use my multi language preaching the gospel, especially here in Thailand, Lisu, Aka, Lahu and Thai. As I speak, I also preach the gospel, start new churches there in Myanmar. for all my life i invest my life in preaching the gospel until today i would like to say thank you for your prayers for your support until today and i would like to uh, urge you to support this ministry in order to reach more people thank you very much now, um, in that video, Barnabas was um, talking about a language gift.
0: And what he means by that is he speaks seven languages fluently. And he believes that that's a gift from God, and I believe that too. It allows him to be able to go through, because it's more than just, it's not just one little church, it's 21 churches,
1: and there's more being built right now. There's four children's homes. It's, it's all over that area of the world. What a privilege it is to be able to partner with God in supporting something like that. So, how do we declare these things? We really are finishing up here honestly, but I I, I got to explain a couple more things here. He says exhort. Exhort means to
0: preach in an understandable way. Then anytime the sermon is preached, It should answer questions like, so what? Like, how does this apply to my life? What should I do with this? We need to encourage people, like, here's how to reflect this truth in your life. He also says to rebuke. Rebuke. That's to create conviction. That's to say, hey, stop doing what you're doing. It's wrong. It dishonors God. You need to change the way that you think about this. Part of the job is to rebuke people. Say, knock it off. If you don't apply this, there's going to be spiritual consequences. God's going to discipline you for your disobedience. And you might be shocked to hear this, but people don't like
1: hearing that. And that's why he says, last phrase here, that's why he says this let no one disregard.
0: That word disregard is so interesting in the Greek. Do you know what it is literally? It means to think around because that's literally what a lot of people do when the word is preached they think around
1: it meaning yeah i hear what he's saying but that doesn't really apply to me because pastor jeff doesn't know my situation i know what he's saying about it's
0: wrong to 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 flirt you know with somebody that's not my wife and but Pastor Jeff doesn't understand how cold my marriage has become and, and, and you know what you're doing when you, you're thinking around. Like I, hear, I heard what he was saying about when I'm at work, I should work hard, but he doesn't understand my job, that, that, that there's, there's periods of time that there really isn't, you know, it's okay. I mean, because we start to justify why it's okay for me to be lazy at
1: work. Well, what are you doing? I'm thinking around. That's what we're doing. And that's why Paul says here, let no one disregard you. Hey, no one's exempt. No one's exempt. No one gets a pass on any of this.
0: No one can say, well, this doesn't apply to me. You know, you know who needs to hear this message? My, my sister needs to hear this message. Nah! This is for you! Let no one
1: disregard you. Can't make it any easier than this. Acts 17.30 says, Now God commands all people everywhere to repent. God commands all people everywhere to repent. Are you a person? Are you somewhere? Then God is commanding you to repent. Turn from your sin and turn to Him. You know, we have a mission in church. If we aren't intentionally going after the mission, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Like some really weird glee club. And we know what the mission is. We have our part It's preaching and responding to God's word. And and God has his part, which is saving and changing people. And I really believe that if we're willing to be faithful to do our part, I don't think there's any doubt that God's going to do his. Right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, We thank you so much for (laughs) the gospel. God, I pray that you would give us understanding that sometimes we have a very hazy view of what salvation means or a very overly simplistic view of what salvation means. your word's very clear that it means so much about our past, our present, and our future. Father, we do thank you again for the privilege of partnering with you. And I pray specifically for us today. Because, God, we're not in any doubt that you're going to do your thing. We have no doubt. I just ask that you would give us the strength to do our part, to be faithful to preach your word and to be faithful to respond to it. Your work with your word done your way, Father, is going to get your results and that's what we want. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: This is Pastor Jeff Miller and I would like to thank you again for listening to the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel, Pittsburgh North. And you know, a question that I get asked frequently from people is this. How can I support your ministry? Well, I got good news for you. It is easy and it is secure. All you have to do is go to HarvestPittsburghNorth.org backslash giving and follow the on-screen directions. And you can give online to support the ministry of Harvest Pittsburgh North. So until next time, this is Pastor Jeff Miller saying thank you again for listening to the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel,
1: Pittsburgh North.